Hello and welcome to this week's Grape Culture Podcast, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's show, we're going to be discussing the book Glamour by Carol Diehouse. It's about women, history and feminism and also fashion and what role that plays. But before we go into the book, Kim, do you want to tell us about this week's wine? Yes. Um, so we're starting with a fizzy pink. Um, our first, our first fizzy pink, guys. I'm ah, pretty sure, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Fizzy could make feel nice. Exactly. Yeah. Quite right. Um, hopefully, especially in Alex's case. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, Alex is sporting quite the hangover. Today. Yeah. <laughs> so I want the fizzy pink to make me feel happy. Yeah. Hair of the dog and all that. This week's wine is La La Gioiosa. G Gioiosa. Yeah. La Gioza. La Gioza. I, I looked up how to pronounce it and then um, I Forgot. don't speak Italian. So um, La Gioza e Amorosa. It's a um, rosé brut. Brut. Um, again. Brut. <laughs> Why did you sound Scottish? Because I was that? calling back to the first episode. It's a rosé brut. Oh, oh, said yeah, brut several times. Um, Servitinagas. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fizzy pink. It's from Waitrose Cellar again, and it is vegan. Um, it is made from Pinot Noir and Pinot Blanc grapes. This takes its name from an ancient local saying, Marca Gioza e Amorosa, meaning march with joy and love. A friendly fizz designed for joyous occasions and for sharing with friends and relaxed foods. If anyone who speaks actual Italian knows how to pronounce this, can you get in touch on Twitter or Instagram to let us know, please? I really tried. <laughs> I really it's tried. The, it's the accent of La Gioza. La Gioza. <laughs> you should have heard one of the pronunciation videos that I listened to. Oh, nice. Anyway, to the reason that I chose this, um, the book that, as Sam mentioned, is called Glamour. It's all about the history of glamour, really from sort of the beginning of the 19th century to present day. And one of the key phrases that and sort of things that was associated with the glamour girls of the 30s and 40s was pink champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not made of money. So we have pink fizz instead. That'll and it's also trick. vegan. And I'm really excited to try it. So it's a beautiful bottle with a lovely pink label and a pink um, foil at top. And without further ado, I'm going to crack it open. But this might take several minutes because as with everything in this podcast, I am not prepared today. Woo! <laughs> You can never open a bottle of fizz without cheering. Like, I feel like it's a necessity. It would feel wrong, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just like so a natural pen- thing that comes out of Ooh. my mouth. Like, woo. This is like the perfect colour pink fizz. It looks like... It looks like rose water. I was going to say it looks like the kind of pink fizz that fancy people would take a bath in. <laughs> I don't think anyone should bathe in pink fizz. Well, I don't no, think they should, it would be very sticky. I bet people do. Yes. Not great for the vaginal pH, guys. <laughs> Straight in there with the vagina. Great. Why not? Why not? Cheers. 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 Oh, that is dry. Oh, that's, that's nice, though. Real nice. It is really nice. Mm. It's very fizzy. It is. Which I know shouldn't be surprised because it's fizzy pink, but um, it's very fizzy. Oh, it's only 11%. It tastes boozier than that. Mmm. Mm. It's because it's so dry. Yeah. 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 So once again, that's the um, La Gioza et Amorosa from um, the Waitrose Cellar. But uh, good fizzy pink for under a tenner. 
Yeah, good fizzy pink for under a tenner, readily available. Yes, and quite d- d- delicious. Are you feeling Maybe. glamorous? No. <laughs> <laughs> my life is glamour, darling. I mean, I feel the least glamour, like glamorous I've ever been in my life. So, appropriately, we are not dressed in our most glamorous attire for this podcast. We did contemplate getting all fanced up for it, but seeing as it's audio, not video, we did not. I had really um, high plans for getting all dressed up and like putting lipstick on and everything because I I like to put a lipstick on because it makes me feel fancy and powerful. But then I didn't. But I did put on some makeup, which is more than I normally bother with. So you're welcome. Thanks. Um, I see some eyeliner going on. Yep. Some mask. No mask. No it's mask. Just, oh, that's just your eyelashes. Just my eyelashes. I've got Very naturally dark. long, dark eyelashes. Yeah, you forget that I have dark hair because I dye it to fuck. But, oh, you make a good um, point. Yeah. yeah I, have, I have big eyelashes. <laughs> big eyelashes. Just, just a brag for everyone there. So we're, we're just painting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that in mind and our lack of glamour today, what does the word glamour actually mean to you guys? Well, there are two things that it can mean for me. Um, number one, first and foremost, is sort of very chic, Parisian, high quality, high end, fashionable clothing um, that's a bit dramatic. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, like big sweeping coats. And, Couture. Mm. Yeah. And high heels, but somehow walking effortlessly on cobbled streets. And <laughs> Who um, is this person? <laughs> well, exactly. They're very glamorous. And the other side of it is the sort of all the English word for glamour and the word that it's how it's used in a lot of sort of fantasy novels, which is illusion. Mm. Like glamour is... A, a magical spell to, to make you look like something else. So those are my two things. Alex, what about you? Um, I do don't, you I've never really thought about it, to be honest. And I suppose it's a word that I kind of... Not a throwaway word, but like in terms of... Oh, are we going fancy tonight? And then, like, if you're going on a night out and you're feeling fancy, that is a glamorous look. I think... I think Glamour is very much described as an outward appearance, but for me, I think it's also quite an internal thing. Um, mm. When I say I'm feeling glamorous, that's how I, about how I'm feeling inside rather than externally. It just so happens that usually if I'm feeling glamorous, I have got fancy clothes on. <laughs> yeah, my fancy togs. I, I don't think I often say that I feel glamorous. I feel Well, fancy. that's very sad. It's fancy, <laughs> but do you not... Would you not say fancy and glamorous are the same? No, I think... I fucking fancy. I think glamorous, I have a sort of slightly unattainable... Connotation. Yeah, like, I think the only time that I've felt truly glamorous is um, when I got myself all dolled up with, uh, like, I had my hair professionally sort of curled and everything for for a ball that I went to because I'm fucking fancy um because <laughs> you're Henley yes and yeah that's that's the only time that I would say that I'd you probably use the word what about you Sam what does glamour mean for you um to me I think the word glamour yes it's a look but I think it's a specific look in my mind but it's also about a lifestyle and an attitude it's not just mm. um red lipstick and red fingernails it's living this kind of unattainable lifestyle that's exactly um, the word yeah and also just to me glamour is not giving a fuck as well it's it's that attitude of well i'm gonna do me and if me is 
you know, all done up wearing red lips and big cobblestone proof heels, then fine. But also, I think people can be glamorous when they're not done. Like, it, it's mm. more of a. So it is an internal mental- thing. Really. Yeah, I think it's both, yeah. And I don't think you can. Ha- I think if you have. If you have glamour without the attitude, you have beauty. Yeah. Mm. Is what I see. And But glamour is much more. Like, there's. Yeah. It's an attitude. An X factor to that. I have a question for you, a follow up question. Do you think glamour is the same as glam? No. Because I, I think glam is an entirely different thing. I think glam is a. It's quite a modern thing, like by which I mean the last. If you said glam to me, I would associate it with Instagram pictures of people getting ready to go out in the last 10 years. Glamour to me is more of a timeless thing. Mm. And it's not necessarily mm. the same look, but it's that. I don't know. It's like, like I said, an attitude. Yeah. Whereas glam I've... to me is like. Just I've got glittery fingers. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. I definitely maybe not the last ten years, but sort of last ten, fifteen years. Glam is like you say, it's that kind of sparkly nail doodad. Doodad. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that word in a sentence before. Really? Yeah. I've got trinkets and doodads are plenty. Ooze it's and what's it's galore. At the risk of, you know, sounding like a twat. I think glam feels a little bit more trashy. It mm. feels a little bit more cheap. cheap. And girls in the same dress on a night out doing boomerangs of them pouting, like, pouting or something, which has just insulted just so many people that I know. So sorry about that. And probably us too. Yeah, I mean, we do that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think that... It's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just doesn't feel the same. No. And I also think that glam is like Paris Hilton bejeweling her Blackberry or something. Like that is... That is... Bling. Yeah. yeah. Gl- glitzy and... Glitz, I think yeah. glam is a one-time thing. Like, I'm feeling glam tonight. Let's get glammed up. Oh, Whereas mo- glamorous, like you say, I think is a lifestyle. I'm glamorous, darling. And yeah, everything glam that I... You don't go, oh, she's living a glam life no exactly yeah. um so yeah okay, I lifestyle so glamorous is actually yeah glam mm. is a one-time thing whereas glamorous is, glam a, is, is a lifestyle ephemeral whereas glamorous is forever yeah. <laughs> buy my perfume yeah. <laughs> i was just gonna say you should write slogans for perfumes <laughs> but when you said when you just said um oh her lifestyle is so glamorous my immediate thought was like oh that's sad I was like, well, that's obviously going to be followed by some kind of epic tragedy because I feel like every true crime Hollywood story Mm. is her life was the ultimate glamorous lifestyle until tragedy struck. It's a very Valley of the Dolls term, isn't it? That she's got a glamorous lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are our individual definitions of glamour and what we tend to think of. Um, The book, which again is by Carol Diehouse, is very much an exploration of how glamour came to be used as a term meaning something primarily fashion based but also different lifestyles and how it changed from that meaning of as Kim said um, a magical disguise or a deception Um, and it kind of covers 20th century so starts really in about 1918 I think is kind of when it really kicks off yeah it's definitely war war related yeah war related and goes through up till the uh, kind of the end of the 90s um, and what glamour meant and how it fell in and out of fashion throughout those times. Um, Kim and I both bought a copy of the book and in our traditional fashion have <laughs> tabbed the shit out of it. Yes. So I think there's going to be a lot for us to discuss. But before we go into the specifics, what did everyone think of the book itself? It was very academic and I friggin yeah. loved it. It was, yeah. I felt like I was, I mean, 
I haven't had a chance to go back over my tabs since I lent the book to Alex. So only some of them have actual notes on it and I have no <laughs> idea what half of them are. But I felt like I was studying for an essay, which yeah. is not a criticism because I'm a fucking nerd. And I say this at, I say this at least once a year that I wish I could go back to uni and do an essay. Like, I just want someone to just set me an essay. I can set you an essay title. Okay. Do you want me to set you an essay title for fun? Yes. Okay, I'll find something. I'm so lame. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very academic, really thoroughly researched. Um, Nicely broken up with pictures. Although uh, I wasn't too keen on the pictures. I think, like, the book described oh. a lot of kind of imagery. Why didn't you like the pictures, Alex? No, no, I did like the pictures. I just thought they were an odd choice. The mm. ones that they chose to put in, the ones that Carol chose to... Carol, my mate Carol, chose <laughs> um, to put in because a lot of what she was describing, I really wanted to see pictures of. Like she described certain looks and people and I mean, um, referred did... to the same people over and over again, but then chose to never use them in any of the images. She a lot did of the some ads, of them, but also yeah. um, I think there may well be copyright issues. She may not have had uh, the permission to reproduce those certain images, but they're iconic right. images. Like the ones of Princess Diana, probably not easy to get. Yeah, but I noticed I noticed the same thing as Alex. Um, I noticed it sort of more in the reverse. It wasn't that she wasn't posting the pictures of the things she talked about, but the pictures that she put in were in the wrong place. She didn't talk about and were in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. that's what um, I mean. I just thought it was like odd choices of the pictures. Yeah, layouts. Sorry to interrupt. Just on that point, yeah. um, the layout was weird because I don't enjoy an illustrated book that you're halfway through a sentence you turn to the next oh, page yeah, and it's a picture me. and you're like because I got distracted well yeah. I can't look at the picture and like you'd have to look at one and then go back or whatever and yeah. I, I think just in a purely format sense I don't think that was great yeah and um I also thought I know that it's you know I, I know about publishing I know that it's more expensive to print in colour blah 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 but for something that is so such a vibrant topic yeah mm. To have purely all, black yeah, and white images. Yeah, all the pictures are black and white, and I really think that that's, that was a waste. It's the kind of book that you expected it was going to be? Yes. Okay. <laughs> because, <Moving on. laughs> no, I just, well, when you sent us the picture, because Sam chose this book, yeah. um, she'd seen it. We knew that we wanted to talk about fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a different topic in mind, but then you'd said, oh, I've seen this book, I really want to talk about it. Yeah. And when I looked at it and looked at how difficult it was to get and looked at the subtitle being Women, History, Feminism, looked at the fact that it, like how much it costed, I could only find hardback covers. I was expecting it to be academic and cerebral. It wasn't just going to be like um, a puff piece. It wasn't going to be a coffee table book with just pictures of fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I knew that it would be academic. What about you? I thought it was incredibly dry. Okay. Um, it was not one I wanted to read on a hangover, let's just say that. <laughs> and did you have um, to read it on a hangover? Yes, I yes. did. Okay. Um, because I squeezed most of it into today. Okay. <laughs> um, I also think, and I know in the introduction she says that very rarely is glamour uh, discussed in, like a, I suppose, a neutral way. Right. Um, I think it was just too neutral for me. There's a long list of kind of facts and actually I wanted more opinion about what this fashion said and did for women of the time and I I, I don't want to have someone's opinion thrown at me but I just I felt there was lack of. Interestingly though you didn't read the last chapter. Oh yeah that's true. Is she more opinionated? uh, it, It was in many ways this was essentially a thesis in that the introduction she set out the goal of the book then 
gave a load of facts, then at the end summed up with not only her opinion, but opinions of other academics. Okay. So there was more of her in the final. input in the final chapter, but it was definitely... Um, I, I agree that the, the body of it was quite dispassionate in what it was, yeah, it was describing. Just, it was, it was just a history with lesson that. without the passion for me. I don't know if um, I do agree with that because I felt like she was coming at it from an angle and I was very aware of what, what that angle what, was. What, which, angle? what do you think like, the angle was? That to not celebrate it per se, but show the importance of the fashion and the importance of the change and how it was sort of controlled and admonished by the patriarchy... Um, but then I also did skim the final chapter because I had to give it to Alex. Um, Damn it, Alex. I know, and I didn't even finish it. I didn't so. even finish it. It's just as <laughs> what it is. Alex, you were going to say something. Um, well, I was going to say that I, I mean, I read academic text. I think also I have to read a lot of plays and academic text and thought and I have to read a lot for work mm. in, in the, you know, maybe not about fashion, but um, similar tones, I suppose. They're usually more opinionated. Um, and it just felt like I was extending my work into the weekend. Right, fair enough. So that's we, probably why I didn't get on board as we, much. We should address it in the introduction, um, Die House writes, uh, this book has a broad focus because its aim has been to bring together a number of lines of inquiry about the representations and constructions of different femininities about the shaping of aspiration and desire and about the relationship between social conditions, fashion and material culture. Mm. So she admits herself in the introduction, it's, mm. it's a broad um, work taking in various different perspectives and not necessarily providing comment on them until the very end. Yeah, I suppose I feel like I didn't learn about those social con- constraints on women. I just learned See, about a lot I of fur. There was so much there fur and perfume. Of fur, I feel yes. like I learned a lot. Like I was, I was telling a friend of mine earlier today, who's a friend of the podcast, um, podcast. what we were going to talk about friends. tonight, um, because he was asking, and he was like, "Oh, what? What's that about? Like, what do you mean?" He was interested, and I explained the sort of the rise of glamour in the early uh, early twentieth century, and as a result of the fact that women had gone off to work and had suddenly had a dispensable income that they were able to and then I was explaining how it became cheapened because mistresses wore fur because they were desirable and then so respectable women didn't want it and that's how it became a cheapened thing and he was like oh that's really interesting and then when I was telling him about it I was like I learned something from this (laughs) book that I didn't know before and I I really enjoyed it I'm not saying it wasn't a bit of a slog to get through at times but I I definitely feel like I learned stuff and I'd probably go back to it and learn some more our normal choice of book is that we do prefer something i think with a bit of humor in it somewhere and obviously mm. this was not overly humorous i mean there are a few dry cracks but but not anything overt and um, i do i agree with you kim i think it's impossible to have a book this academic and not pick up something you didn't know before and for all the fur talk i thought when i was reading it i thought that alex you might be uncomfortable with the fur yeah, talk there was a shit ton of fur talk. because there was a lot of fur talk <laughs> and a lot of pictures of fur but i'm I have seen fur like that before um, so I wasn't exactly surprised and by it. No, I knew it was a massive part of like like fashion and, and it, the history of, of fashion. Yeah, the silver screen of Hollywood. And yeah. I've, and that's how I, like, you know, golden age, sorry. Kim saying sweeping coats. If you say glamorous, you do think of think like of a, a fur, fur coat. coat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't think of a Mac. No. <laughs> Pack Although a Mac. I do, I do think of like... Um, <laughs> Like camel sort of coat, 
coats, the really big, swoopy, thick ones that aren't they aren't a bit more eighties, like a boxy mm, one. Not necessarily. Like I a was... trench coat, like a flasher coat. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> what about <laughs> what about sundial? Uh, I was just flipping through the the book and I stopped at one of my tabs which is incidentally about authentic furs and the whole cheapening of it and this was one of the weirdest things that I'd ever read and I just kind of want to talk really about strange, it it's really strange the possessor of the Revillian fur and the other woman may be sisters under their skin all the same it is the first sister's skin that makes the second feel anything but sisterly feels really fucking weird First of all, I really this is about this is about like having an affair and giving I your. I don't think it was. No. no, that is what I'm pretty sure that what it is. Oh, I thought it was about you're going to judge other women. The possessor of the rebellion fair and the other woman may be sisters under their skin. All the same, it is the first sister's skin that makes the second feel anything but sisterly. Oh yeah, I suppose. I As in, makes her. the second feel like fucking great because you want to bone her. That's a fucking weird thing to put on your outfit. <laughs> yeah. Also associating your mistress with sisters. It's just kind of oh super... I'm sleeping with these sisters. Are they sisters? No. Yeah. <laughs> they just happen to have the same there fur was, coat. On the fur topic, um, just while Kim looks something up, there was a bit in here that I've tapped just because I really enjoyed the sound of this woman. And I've not heard of her before, which is Eleanor Glynn. Um, oh, yeah, She's yeah. a very great. early uh, sensas- sensational novelist, romantic novelist. Um, kind of a precursor to your... Jackie Collins and your mm. um, Jilly Coopers but she had it goes into detail that she used to collect tiger skins um, she ended up with eight of them and she named each one after a significant man in her life and yeah, I don't I know why that. but I really enjoyed yeah. that that's no, I mean that's oh, a, you're that's lying a on Stephen. Like, <laughs> I f- thought of you in that moment because I was like what? why? Sam would do this <laughs> like not that you would write your not your tiger skins, but I was like, I bet because Sam is a writer, and I was like, Sam would do this with books, like book characters. Oh, what if? I, how do you mean? If I wrote a book, or if, if you were writing, if you were writing novels, and you had the ability to sort of write significant characters, I felt like I was like, she'd write significant people, significant men in her life into the novels. It just felt like, yeah, probably. You know, like that would be your equivalent. Yeah, like all I can imagine is Sam surrounded by skinned men. <laughs> like, oh, don't mind Harold. He's... I thought you were gonna say you are morbid. I know. I'm hungover. Okay, guys. See, my this is where my mind goes. That I'd have dildos that I named after the different men. Oh in my shit! Life. Yeah, of course. Oh, that works better. That makes a lot more skinned sense. human beings, book characters, dildos. dildos. Great. We can see where you know yes. our minds. At least go. they're not modelled after different guys. You can get cloner willy kits. I'm just I know, saying. it's so gross. I don't know why you'd want to, but never mind. On that lovely note, um, should we just briefly talk about how we're finding the pink fizz? Delicious. I want more. Do we feel fancy? I do feel quite... This does. This is a glam drink. Like, if we were doing a girls' night out wearing like oh, yeah, I'd little be really black dresses and red lipstick, a la the book, uh, and I'll bring my fur just to annoy Alex, but... <laughs> Um, have you got real fur? No, I don't. Have oh, okay. Fur. I do have a lot of faux fur coats though, like yeah, as in it's with faux linings and and big fake fur fluffy collars. Mm. It's definitely moving. But yeah, I would drink this if we were going out. Yeah, out, 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 out. Which drink. we do about three times a year now. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I I agree. I do think it's a glam drink. Um, we're drinking it in my little champagne coupes, and yeah. 
I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's going down remarkably easy. A treat. Um, I'm a bit slower on the drinking. You are hungover. Yes, <sighs> but I feel like it's the Lucasade of the alcohol world. What restorative? Yes. Okay. Well, good. We're, we're okay. running out. So. so if you're hungover, it's restorative. Uh, if you're not hungover, it's just fucking tasty. Delicious. So we've talked a bit about our impressions of the book and what we thought of it. Um, did you have a particular bit or uh, a phrase or anything like that that you particularly identified with or liked or enjoyed? Insert synonyms here. <laughs> <laughs> that we found interesting, you might say. Did you find it? Did you find it interesting? I found it what? fucking interesting. Um, yeah, there was a section that I found particularly interesting, um, which was about the uh, the difference between glamour and vulgarity uh, the mod- it's sort of all around the 50s mm. where glamour became a dirty word and you had the glamour girl and you had the sort of the housewife girl the lady the young lady it went a bit Madonna whore in the 80s that's exactly it, it. Yeah. Um, Madonna versus whore and she yeah. talked about it and said you know in the Victorian era they had the Madonna versus whore in in the 50s they had the young lady or the cheesecake and then I, I thought I've well, never heard of that expression no cheesecake maybe and beefcake no. I heard of beefcake ah, but not cheesecake beefcake, beefcake ah. was the male equivalent of cheesecake yeah I've heard of beefcake but not cheesecake and then I thought well what is the modern equivalent because I've definitely used the phrasing of Madonna whore because of obviously you know what I studied but um, it's I think it's a mentality that I sort of tried really hard to break through that took took me a while to break through that and i'm not sure i'm always 100 percent there um and it that just it resonated with me because of that and the fact that it's gone been going on this whole time and it was the argument that these women were cheap because Mm -hmm. they were glamour girls and the cheesecake thing and so that was a section that i found really interesting did you did that stand out to you guys at all i think yeah that was um this idea that glamorous moved away from something being that something that was aspirational in the pre-war pre-second mm. world war era mm. um and then after the second world war there was kind of this return to family values but at the same time you couldn't go completely back to the way things were because women were working now and it was a, it was a very different thing. um yeah i i did find that dichotomy interesting very interesting um because yeah it was it was something that hadn't really been addressed before mm. and i think even the subsequent decade is something that is still prevalent in in the way she talks about it but the 50s definitely mm. yeah one of the notes i made about it were women embrace something so men shame it yeah yeah um which was the women start to embrace work so men started making them become housewives but then in the flip side you've now got women you know there there were women that wanted to embrace being housewives in the 80s and men shamed it and and then thus was the dawn of the power women yeah and know then in the 80s men there that was shamed it. i think women I think were no shaming true it. Yeah. but then also in the 80s it was women embraced the androgynous look so men called them dykes mm. and it seemed get back in your place woman pretty much like every time every chapter could be summed up by women embrace something so men shamed it it's like that thing i think this ties in to the whole glamour element of um we're so often presented with this idea of oh men love the natural beauty they love the natural this and it's like 
don't give a shit. If I want to plaster my face in makeup and wear a tight dress, I'm going to fucking do it. Get in the sea. Get in the sea? Get in the sea. (laughs) What are you doing? Get in the sea. Get in the fucking sea, mate. Okay, great. But yeah, so, uh, no, I agree. It's like, you don't have the right to comment on my body. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. And I just, that, that whole thing kind of snowballed into one big topic for me that really resonated but it was mm. that just that because i have a, a a fondness for the the 50s aesthetic both the the sort of ladylike one and the rockabilly style thing like so the like the roll. dior new look element and yeah the, uh, yeah the, the elvis rockabilly look yeah like, i i like both of those things i i i think visually they are both really appealing to me and things that i i like to do but i suit the rockabilly certainly more than I suit the the genteel lady like because I'm not a waif um I don't think that's true though but fair enough in my personal opinion at the moment currently but I like them both and I've I've worn them both and I enjoy wearing them both so the concept of that sort of I've never thought of them as a war before Mm. I've never thought I've just thought of them as 50s looks I've never thought of them as this this two very different like class and society barriers so this book really sort of enlightened that for me and by translating it to the madonna whore um Mm. image of the victorian era it really like it really hammered that one home for me when i was thinking about it when i was reading this book and i was trying to think about the fashion i thought about um hairspray Mm. Uh, and the difference between the yeah the musical sorry um the difference between Amber's outfit and Tracy's outfits yeah mm. and um that that seemed like I know that the, it's welcome to the sixties but that was quite a similar vibe Greece again American but Greece is mm. another one mm-hmm. and um Crybaby the John Waters film mm-hmm. you know what I did think of Crybaby only because I've recently listened to uh. A my favorite murder episode about the murder <laughs> that inspired crybaby oh, and the young girl who um unfortunately was murdered she wore that kind of like the classic 50s look that people think of with the poodle skirts and oh, I so i i had listened to that just prior to reading t- this book and so i was definitely associating that podcast with yeah this book but hairspray is also based the musical is based on a john waters film again of the same name mm-hmm. is it's john waters that whole era but he was massively inspired by he it was yeah alex what was your um, what did you think was good or relevant so in the book? um i can't remember what era it was but it was um you know the rise of cinema and uh so i think it was the hollywood glamour chapter which is chapter two um which i think is like 20s 30s yeah, um, kind of starts in the twenties and goes through to the forties. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And um, it was quite what I found really interesting because with you know our modern world of you know you hear about young girls, uh, the rise of cinema and these glamorous women um, affecting young girls and their opinions of themselves. And I thought that was a lot more modern. The going home and looking in the mirror. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. thought that was more to do with the rise of, like, uh, I suppose, magazines and social, uh, social media. media. So I was quite surprised and shocked and saddened that actually it's been around for a very long time. Yeah, it's been around Sorry, for you were shocked and saddened. Shocked and saddened that Deeply. young girls 
um, from the 30s, as far back as the 30s, have been criticising their appearance due to beautiful women being put in front of them and this unachievable kind of goal of beauty. What about you? Was there a point, um, Sam, that you felt was really significant or that you really enjoyed or found very interesting? I mean, I like the fact there was a lot of discussion about Mae West because I love her. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of chat about Mae West. A lot of chat about Mae West, but because she is that... She is... Okay, so when I said at the beginning that glamour is an attitude, I think that's why I think of her because she was... She wore all these extravagant outfits and she wore loads of feathers and super corseted waist and like big old boobies, big old bum, the whole thing. But she was confident, she was funny, she was a Mm. woman who until her fucking 80s was in a relationship with a man 30 years younger than her, you know. She was dedicated to the glamour lifestyle and had been since she was a kid. Yeah, so as we said, there are various bits in the book that were educational and things I hadn't thought about or considered. One was, um, again, in that chapter, the Hollywood glamour chapter about the stage and screen and the the golden age of Hollywood. Mm. Um, When they are talking about the choice of costumes, which is kind of how this idea of glamour arose in its modern terms, I think. Um, And them talking about the choice of the fabrics of the costumes being chosen because they were filmed in black and white and having to give this depth of... um, Luxury, like yeah, texture. luxury, texture and... and luxury that you couldn't do through color because they couldn't use it, and that's something that I'd never. No, I didn't. Even I didn't thought about yeah. like feathers and sequins and velvet and satin because they all look different on a black mm. and white camera. See, I've thought of that a little bit just because I know I've read about um, things like how uh, how they portrayed things in um, the Wizard of Oz, which was one of the first Technicolor. Yes things because that it looked better on Technicolor so obviously I've kind of been always been aware that the flip side was also true but definitely not to this extent which I mean it was fascinating and I think funnily enough the Hollywood glamour chapter was I mean I don't know about you guys but it was the epitome of what I thought what you you think think of of yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and I think that it was one of the longest chapters and one that kind of they kept the, the author keeps harking back to anyway um, she she kind of skims over the sixties and seventies to an extent. Talks more about um, more cultural things and societal things like the ready availability of birth control and the pill mm-hmm. and the um, mm. appeal of the um, abortion laws and that kind of thing. More so that than the fashion in those chapters. But this yeah. chapter about the glamour of Hollywood was very much about the look. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we're at the bottom of the bottle how did everyone feel about the fizzy pink i really the la giosa it was giosa very tasty amorosa fizzy pink off of waitrose cellar yeah. I, I would buy again i would buy i would definitely buy again how did we feel it paired with the idea of glamour though um i think it it, as we said it feels like something you drink when you were getting fancier to go out but it was a bit more sweet there wasn't enough bite to it for glamour i think oh yeah. I, interesting because i was thinking about obviously the, the pink champagne comment that mm. is made in the book which yeah. i wish i could find but yeah i i don't i agree with you it was almost too easy drinking yeah to feel it doesn't feel exclusive and i think there's an element of exclusivity to mm. glamour it felt like a superficial it, it, yeah it feels too modern 
to mm. be completely glamorous. Mm. Like, I almost feel like maybe we should have gone, like, baby sham or something like that. Baby even though, sham! Even though that's only, like, again, quite superficially glamorous and, like, is more... Is it, though? Baby yeah, sham like... is... <laughs> yeah, but that's... I mean, like, that's what I mean. Like, maybe it was, like, the glamour of the... When was baby sham? 80s? I don't... I don't even... My mum drank baby sham, so almost definitely the 80s. And we're back. Uh, we have our second bottle of wine we do very pretty so slender it is super slender it is super pretty it is also pink um it's not fizzy pink this time it's just regular pink god i know well (laughs) i have to have faith in my pink (laughs) um it is called le bijou de sophie valrose uh cabriers is apparently the the wine type um this also came from waitress seller big big surprise waitress seller is excellent if you're trying to get um lesser known vineyards and especially wines that have sort of unique features this is described as a beautiful pale salmon color rosé elegantly fragrant with aromas of wild strawberries citrus and flowers round and creamy on the palate with ripe summer fruit flavors and minerality elegant and balanced with juicy acidity and a silky smooth finish also available in magnum so you can have twice the enjoyment i don't feel like this person's ever seen salmon but sure other than that (laughs) cheers cheers (laughs) Kim looks like she licked a nettle it's not the wine's fault (laughs) oh this is good shit oh I like this oh I can taste chipsticks this feels like bad decisions in the summertime oh that's my third album (laughs) (laughs) I really like it which is strange because I'm not usually a pink wine lover. It's quite peachy. I think it's because it's not as sweet as your usual rosé. I think it's really sweet. Yeah, I think it's really sweet. Oh. You have weird it's taste buds, different... Alex. I have really good taste buds. Does it? As in I can pick up the spices from food <laughs> very easily. It's a good savoury taste buds. Oh yeah, that's true. Maybe my sweet taste buds are not good. Underdeveloped. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't really eat sweetness. So with that in mind, should we get back to talking about... Can we get back to politics? Please. <laughs> so we've talked about what we liked about the book. What did you not agree with or not like? I I mean, I've already said kind of reasons why I didn't necessarily get on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that she repeated herself quite a lot. In which element? Uh, well, in the chapter, in the, uh, I think the Hollywood, the one that Kim was saying was maybe a standalone essay originally. Mm. I feel like that was very self-contained. So maybe that is true. And... She then, um, she re- she repeated herself quite a lot about. I I was I wasn't clear that it was going in date order until after that chapter because it kept on bouncing back between. Yeah, there dates. was a bit of to and froing, but I think that was necessary. Don't you think? Um, I don't know. I just found it a bit repetitive. I also points. I also did notice that there were certain there were certain facts that were being repeated. So, like in the introduction, in the first chapter, she talks about um, certain things to do with fur and the quantity of fur and the kind yeah, of and the kind of fur that was again. popular and the kind of and perfume, and the perfume. yeah there was uh that one particular perfume that she mentioned a few times and kept on saying and gone are the singular flower smells of the like 20s or whatever mm, it was and yeah. she said that about seven times yeah there you know was she also said about seven times sorry was the phrase on the make i read it five times Mm. women on the make yeah five times in this one book yeah which is an antiquated phrase yeah weird phrase um yeah i also noticed the the repetition 
but that I think that might have contributed to why I believe that the Hollywood glamour was a standout essay, even mm. if it actually wasn't. Um, the other thing was that when there were elements of history that just didn't really tie into what she wanted to talk about, yes, she skittered over them pretty quickly. The sixties and seventies didn't get much, True. much airtime really in this mm. book. Um, and I don't know if I was just particularly attuned to it because I've been thinking a lot about 60s and 70s fashion lately. Um, but yeah, so she kind of just like ignored that. And I would have appreciated her genuinely tackling the fact that glamour in this, in the way that she puts forth, didn't seem to exist in those times and yet somehow lasted. Like I would have appreciated her acknowledging it a bit more and really delving into it but it just was just kind of like mm. oh hippies don't really match with fur and that was it mm. and there was no real they, she did discuss playboy briefly but playboy is a publication that ran from the 50s till present day and and i think it has a big part in glamour photography yeah, which is its own thing part. and i think she kind of she mentioned the pinups of the of the war era but beyond that there was no exploration of quote glamour photography yeah which no it was, it was purely from the, the fashion and the hollywood like actors as opposed to the side of glamour that maybe is less glamorous yeah what about you was there something that you didn't like because I don't like this belt is sticking into me anyway uh we talked about sort of our things and i think that you you've agreed with them but you haven't firmly stated what you just didn't like about the book and i'm wondering if anything sam, commit <laughs> with the amount of tabbing in this book i feel like sam friggin loved this book and i'm not sure i did love this book i think there was a lot in it to discuss but it i would have appreciated a treatment that was a bit less dry i think mm-hmm. it was as we said at the beginning as alex pointed out it was very um flat it was dispassionate i think yeah. and the blurb on the back says um a social historian, Carol Diehouse, explores the changing meanings of the word glamour, its relationship to femininity and fashion, and its place in 20th century social history. Using women's magazines and films, social surveys and life histories, she examines with wit and insight the history and meaning of costume, cosmetics, perfume and fur. Now, now it's the word didn't get any wit, wit mm. uh, that I was like, mm. she's clearly a very intelligent academic, she's an academic, so she would be, but it just also you reading that blurb like regard like you know as much as i said oh it felt like i was doing homework on a weekend Mm. i i would be okay with that if it did go into as much exploration as that almost promises but i did feel it was quite surface and it's just talks about fashion it you know the bits that i enjoyed about talking like real women saying oh actually i feel quite affected by these uh unobtainable figures of women yeah. that are put in front of me i wanted more of that mm. i wanted more about the social constructs of things as opposed to just the fur industry and stuff like that yeah. see i disagree because i thought the history of the fashion was really really interesting like that's the, some of the stuff that stuck to me and i was fine with it being a history of fashion but that's it's not, not what it's selling but it's not selling that yeah. exactly because i think i think the history of fashion is just as valuable important interesting as the psychological aspects of of being a woman Definitely. and I, I know that that's not what you meant to sort of say like say that it was just talking about fashion but um just to defend it like the history of fur the history of feathers the history of all that 
and lipstick because she talked about like how lipstick was made and how powder was made and perfume and i mean recently i read the feather thief which is about the importance of the of feathers in fashion and um in victorian society in general and then a massive crime that involved feathers and i just read the book it's great and then i also one of my favorite books ever written is perfume which is obviously it's a novel and it's about murder but it also talks a lot about the history of how perfume is made all the factory processes yeah and so that kind of deep dive into how something is made or the importance of it i thought was really interesting and i thought the social history around like the first stuff really stuck with me and also um the nod to sort of the charlie charlie scent Mm. um also really amused me but when does she mention Charlie's? Near the end, I don't remember. Ah. Um, oh, I used to like love buying that from Poundland or Savers. Well, exactly. Red and Charlie. That's how like all the girls smelt like Red Charlie and all the boys smelt like Lynx Africa. I yeah, just that really was, like, my that Charlie also means cocaine. <laughs> <Does it? laughs> yeah. Yeah. Line of Charlie. I've never well, I, Henley. No, also well, oh, no. everyone does fucking cocaine. Everyone does cocaine. Henley. Yeah, that is true. It's white in more than skin tone, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. I th- I feel like those sort of deep dive into these little histories and how they relate to social stuff. I find that fascinating. I loved that. I wanted more of that. It was for me. It was that she didn't do enough of that. She was trying to do two things, like that she had had this fantastic knowledge of certain fashion industries and could easily and maybe has written full books about like the history of fur the history of this history of that but was trying to sell a concept this concept of glamour which she had very clearly defined in her head i think and does quite well defined but got lost in the stuff which true to form i found more interesting because i love a, i love me a side character but i don't think that it was her message I don't think that it was her point. Yeah, and also, like, it's interesting calling it academic, because for me, academic, like, an am- academic um, exploration includes uh, more discovery within its pages. I feel like she was just stating a lot of facts for me. There was no discovery. In oh, I don't know if I agree with that with, that, with regards to academia, because I think you, you write an academic paper with a point in you've already done your research well no exactly and i don't i don't think i think she was just factually quoting a lot of people's ideas without necessarily drawing many of her own conclusions. yeah which is for me an academic study but you didn't read the conclusion i know i know i know yeah so with that in mind there is there's a page in the final chapter in fact it's double page spread which i have tabbed four times um and with this idea of her not coming down strongly on one side or the other or, or whatever um, there are a couple of points in there that I think were insightful and I think <laughs> <laughs> it's like Thanks, a big poo <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish your sentence and then you just paused I know, but it was, just, like you it was so dramatic like I loved I loved. I, know, but I could wait I think I might leave that in um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think were her uh an element of her voice that you perhaps don't get in the rest of it. So one of them is um, where she was discussing uh, the role of glamour and this exaggerated femininity in eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, obesity as well. Um, And she said this thing about um, 
banning photography, banning photographs of size zero models is unlikely to solve deep-rooted problems of consumer societies in the West. In any case, glamour has historically required rather more than ample curves. And this idea of treating problems at their very surface level, I mm-hmm. think, is something that's... I mean, you see it in, um, again, like I've studied a reasonable amount of prohibition and the banning of alcohol in the US. I was going to associate it with drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And this this idea that if you take something away that's perceived as causing the problem, that will fix it. Yeah. And actually, no, you have to go deeper than that. You have to address far more behind that. I thought that was a really good point that she made. She quotes uh, Sandy Lee, Sandra Lee Bartke, who is a feminist philosopher who I hadn't heard of again before this book, mm-hmm. um, in which she says, um, talking about women and adorning themselves and how it doesn't always have to be a statement. Sometimes people just like to put on a nice thing and that's fine. Uh, and she says, this, this is the quote from Bartke, which is, feminists are widely regarded, regarded as enemies of the family. We are also seen as enemies of the stiletto heel and the beauty parlour, in a word, as enemies of glamour. And I know that, Kim, you said, I mean, on our website, your summary is that you like, your, your bio, sorry, mm-hmm. is that you like red wine and blah, 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 blah. And one of the things is red lipstick and, mm-hmm. and this. And then you put in your dislikes anyone who says you can't like these things and be a feminist and yeah. that made me think of yeah. you yeah because that's basically what you're saying i feel really really strongly about things like that um i've been told at various stages in various you know for various reasons that i am a feminist worst nightmare because <laughs> i like because I like knitting, because I like You espouse certain up. traditional things. Yeah. I like traditional things, but also, on the flip side, when I do the non-traditional things, when I get dolled up and I, I am a bit glamorous and ballsy or whatever... I take a selfie. And I take angle. me a selfie. Then I'm a feminist worst nightmare because, oh, you're wearing lipstick, oh, you shave your underarms. Oh, well, God, I love. think that's absolute crap. Well, like, as really so do me. I. And I think um, it definitely is something that I pulled out of this book um, I have a note here about being defensive about being sexy but I could equally have a note about being defensive about being traditional in the 1950s mm. chapter because mm. there's nothing wrong with it any of it and the point, um, is choice. the point is choice I could and I just think like if you're not hurting anyone and you're true to your, who you are then then fuck it and also people are more than just their one interest i am more than just my interest in knitting and i am more than just like that yeah that to get dressed person. up yeah and like i think that's the thing for all the, the the summaries on our website which you know are great they're still they're summaries they're they're very they're brief bios i have we all have varied interests and varied things that we enjoy sam you love cooking i do um which Alex some well. yeah which some cooking. would consider a traditionally feminine feminine and therefore um limiting interest which i think is obviously bollocks because we clearly think <laughs> that that's bollocks um and don't i've worry, had dear. people on the table well, it's, it's just so good. i don't have to do the washing up to be honest. <laughs> <Same thing. laughs> but, but i you genuinely enjoy the, love that sort i enjoy of the thing, process of it yeah. yeah and i think we should um, do a cooking well we definitely episode. will um i have a plan for that so yes. it's fine okay good. Um, but yeah, I just I I agree with you uh, in that. Yeah, yeah, that's very me. I, actually, weirdly, um, and again, this might be a whole separate podcast. Anyway, I remember uh, my partner saying to me, "I feel sometimes when it." So he said, 
we were watching Emma Watson do like a speech um, about oh, was it the one to the UN was it the UN I think yeah I think so before, yeah. yeah and he said I feel he said I feel awful because I find her really attractive mm, yeah. and does that mean that he he was really struggling with the fact that does does that mean that he's undermining uh, what she's saying and the fact that she's a feminist and all this stuff and I was like well of course not because you can still respect her for what she's saying in her mind but you can find her attractive. Yeah. Also, it's not just like because... he's sat there as long as he's not sat there writing her off going yeah shut your mouth love and you, you stick know, it he... round my knob like you know that. <laughs> but no, oh, god. oh god, I hope no human being says that. No, but, but this do. is my point is that he yeah, can sit there true. he can sit there and be like wow she's attractive and then also yeah no she has some really good points you don't have to have one thing or the other no exactly mm-hmm. and, and actually it, we had like a long debate afterwards about the fact that you know why is it mutually exclusive that you're bright mm-hmm. and a feminist um and doing a lot for women or or a, a cause but yet also very attractive like physically like why can it only be one thing yeah. or the other this this reminds me though of a couple of things like there's the whole thing about sleeping your way to the top and i think early on in the book she talks about like women using sex as power Mm. um and mistresses being the for a while the epitome of glamorous the word glamorous and glamour because they were unashamedly sexy and Mm. had sex appeal and there's that thing and you can allowing someone to be that like i've read a whole book about courtesans and their power and there's that um very famous roman statesman well stateswoman who was the wife of a statesman or the lover of a statesman and she basically ran shit for a while whose name i've immediately forgotten because i'm terrible wasn't lucretia was it yes lucretia yes that's i was like lavinia and then i was like no it's not lavinia i've just been reading shakespeare today um casual sunday i just, love how you just casually read shakespeare on a sunday it sounds full because i'm reading a trash book about shakespeare and then i decided to read shakespeare oh, yeah. music be the food of love play on give me excess of it but suffating the appetite may sicken and so die i quoted that this week as well yeah she used the word suffating and that's all i could think of fucking weirdo <laughs> um we're just now we're just that's being knobs Oh, scholars! Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it was the idea that being sexy and being respected are mutually exclusive is definitely has not always been the case. And it is used as something to, to be sexy is used as something to discredit intelligent women. So all these women who have worked their way to the top, because the way to do that was to get in with someone who had power and the way to get in with someone who had power was to bone them great do it like that is that is being savvy that is a level of savvy and a level of commitment yeah that many people don't have and i think to, the quickest way to discredit someone is to insinuate that they got there by sleeping with someone and first of all why should that be a bad thing but second of all like that's that's a, that's the difference between finding someone hot but also finding their ideas interesting and or recognising someone's intelligence and recognising someone's attractiveness or recognising someone's intelligence as a threat and therefore throwing their attractiveness back in their face. Mm. And in this chapter where she talks about um, Bartke, again, it's uh, Sandra Lee Bartke, the feminist philosopher that we were talking about about 15 minutes ago. Uh, (laughs) She then quotes her again saying... um, 
Repressive narcissistic satisfactions stand in the way of an emergence of an authentic delight in the body. The woman unable to leave home in the morning without putting on her face will never discover the beauty, character and expressiveness her own face already possesses. But then the author, um, Carol Die House, Die House, Die House, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> With um, the beautiful chorus. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Shut your face, Jim. Right. But then the author goes on to say, but is this really the case? What if we were to draw an analogy? Analogy is hard to say when I'm drunk. <laughs> an analogy with gardening, for instance. The beauty of formal gardens doesn't necessarily obscure the beauty of natural growth. An appreciation of art doesn't preclude love of nature. There is more than a streak of puritanism here. So this idea of love it. that if something is manufactured and structured and whatever, that's the only way something can be beautiful. If you do apply that to nature, then you'd be like, fucking <laughs> bollocks, wouldn't you? so true you wouldn't stand in the middle of I don't know uh, again I'm going to say Sri Lanka because I'm going there in a week but um, or like <laughs> a wildflower meadow yeah a meadow or the Alps you know somewhere completely untamed and go well there's no path with pebbles on it so I'm not fucking here for it like, well it's the picturesque mm. versus the sublime and that's interesting because in um, romantic with a capital R literature um the picturesque versus sublime sublime was seen as greater than the picturesque so sublime is the the wild untameness of the alps and the picturesque mm. is the neatness and cultivated um english english countryside yeah and there was a a real sort of um dichotomy and battle between which was considered english mm-hmm. and which was considered superior and ultimately it was decided that the sublime i think you know if you read wordsworth um why would you because he's <laughs> great but he he has the um poem you know looking upon tintin abbey which is very picturesque but then he also has where he crosses the alps and that's a very famous part of um the work that he did with coleridge and it's seen as his more superior and elevated work his magnum opus is is his descriptions of these these sublime things and the lasting memory of romantic literature is the idea of the sublime over the over the picturesque so but for some people if you look at victorian art and the victorian literature you it's it's all the picturesque it's all little villages and um minute details and, and very manicured or uh structured or created art so the difference between i mean this is all over the span of a century it changes depending on but they're both equally beautiful the works of the pre-raphaelite artists are considered just as beautiful as the literature of the romantic sublime that was a really knobby diatribe (laughs) for the record i think there would be a really good skit in um wordsworth and coleridge yeah so just wordsworth does all the work and then coleridge just rocks up having been on a fucking bender for nine days being like oh i wrote this thing about a seagull except it's not a seagull it's like a an albatross he's apparently now from brisbane so we're gonna go with that that's Um, i mean that is what i heard in the the unreleased letters of wordsworth and samuel taylor coleridge is that actually samuel taylor coleridge was sammy t from brisbane oh my god crazy sammy t he just can't stop putting shrimps on the barbie and whores in his arsehole 
But <laughs> what? Oh, that's a good term. <laughs> Why is that a typical Australian thing? No, it's not. No, it's, it's a, a Coleridge thing. thing. Yeah. Coleridge thing. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, point being, yes, this idea of th- going back to the original point, this idea of the uh, the manicured and the the planned planned beauty versus beauty versus the natural beauty. Natural beauty. Yeah, exactly. Um, and lyrical ballads. Yes, is the phrase is the yeah, the title the of the collection that we were looking for, which both of us failed to get. Yeah, and I studied romantic literature like yeah, a lot, and it just went out of my head. And I so, had one so of the top Wednesday. English lit marks in the country for A <laughs> level, <laughs> but I can't remember the names of books. So that's so fine. Wordsy. So it's W. It's fine. Me and Wordsy are like this. We are pals. Anyway, for anyone who has been listening to that and thought that just took a weird jump, the recording cut out in the middle. So if it sounds odd, we can only apologise. Onwards. Also, we did go off on a tangent about Wordsworth and Coleridge. So there's that. Anyway, so back to the book. So if uh, in the final page, the summary of the book is described using Angela Carter's Wise Children, Mm. um, which was her last novel. It was a novel um, that was... I re- I very much enjoyed it. Um, it was very much Shakespearean, and I enjoy me some shaky. Um, <laughs> it was also about the glamour of old Hollywood, um, and so she sums it up by basically saying she she, she discusses the book and says. Um, so to sum up, there are two main the two main characters are Dora and Nora, uh, who are the illegitimate children of a famed Shakespearean actor, and it kind of charts their life and. Then when they're 75, they go off to their father's birthday. It's a great example of magic realism and really enjoyable. But the final line of the book is, um, they strut their stuff, shouldering off their silver fox fur trench coats as they ascend the grand staircase, flashbulbs popping, flaunting their still shapely, quote, not quite catastrophic legs, in (laughs) starry tights, mutton dressed as lamb, out of sheer delight and the sense of still being alive and kicking. A pair of elderly grandams, they are a poignant contrast with Gloria Swanson's famous representation of the ageing star Norma Desmond in the film Sunset Boulevard. Precisely because they are so self-aware with no illusions, their fading glamour, no disguise, but rather in the face of all that has to be endured, a celebration of the human condition. And that is the final section of the book. How do we feel about her, considering we have discussed her inability to come down on one side or the other clearly um how do we feel about her using another author's work to sum up the book and the fact that it was wise children um i mean i really enjoy wise children i think it definitely was a fitting quote but i think it kind of the fact that her conclusion is is using other people's words Mm. sums up how i feel about the whole thing Mm -hmm. to be honest Mm. um there is no definite opinion that I get from from this book, and that upsets me. Okay. Um, but saying that, it's a good quote to use. And you saw the play, you saw the stage production of Wise Children last week. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Was it that soon? Yeah. Recent. It was very good. Wow. <laughs> um, I've never read or seen Wise Children, so um, I'll lend it to you. It's the got actual... all my A-level notes in it. I would like to read it. Actually, Love now it. I've seen the play, um, it is. Yeah, I'd really like to read it. You can't lend me any more books until I give some of them back to you. True, <laughs> true this. Because this it's, year we'll, you will read it though, because it's, it's becoming a problem. Um, anyway, yeah, I've I've never read or seen it, but I 
don't have a problem with someone using other people's words to close an essay or open an essay i think it's a fairly common trope Mm -hmm. in books um i think that i think of many books that i've read where like you know the start of a chapter includes a, a brief quotation from literature um and that's that's fairly common and i think that it illuminates something and i think sometimes but people the start have is just fine because then it starts a conversation starts the author's then then opinion on what they're saying but to close but it's like a when summary. there hasn't been an opinion throughout it anyway but if you feel someone worded it better than you did yeah i think it's a, it's well, as yeah, a I, summary I suppose, I, to be honest if she'd had an opinion throughout i wouldn't have a problem with it i think the way i think of it is if i was had written a book about music and food I would probably close on if music be the food of love play on like you know it would be it would be an appropriate reference to close on that it's like a touchstone that everyone can kind of go oh yeah that's what they meant because if you've made an argument if you've made an argument the whole way through and you want people to understand what your argument was in a sort of neatly accessible sound bitey kind of way the best way to do that is to use a well-worn or familiar quote like referencing the rest of the day of silence no like i said i I love a quote i write theater copy all the time and i put a quote quote in it all the time (laughs) but um yeah i just didn't get a strong voice from her so it's like oh shocker she's using someone else's yeah fair enough Okay, so that kind of brings us to the end of our discussion today. So we will do our usual grape rating. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start with the very first wine we had, which was the Fizzy Pink um, name that we can't pronounce. La Giosa. I'm sure it's it that. It sounds like Wingardium Leviosa. So, yeah. so the, the first G is ha- is harder and the second G is more like a, like a Y. Like because it's G-I-G-O-I-S-A. Okay, so that one. So it's supposed to be... Legiosa. Anyway, yeah. Legiosa. Fizzy pink. Fizzy pink goodness. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fresh and light and made me feel a bit fancy mm. when drinking it. So I think it went really well with the book. And for that reason, I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for a four. Oh, okay. Um, Alex, what do you think? Um, I totally agree with Sam. It definitely did make, like we said when we were drinking it, it made me think of the tunes are on. I'm wearing a nice dress. I've I'm done my, my eyeliner. Yeah. Da, da, da. Um, and there's like I don't know, Taylor Swift playing in the background or whatever. Kim stop smiling. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, um, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely give it a four as well. Good. I I fully agree. Four grapes. It is for me. Um, didn't intend that to rhyme, but it did. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, Wordsworth. I, yeah, I've got I've got You're Wordsworth, the Wordsworth on the to my Coleridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I I thought that it was really packed with flavour. Um, whereas sometimes when I drink fizzy pink or fizzy anything, I'm like, it just tastes like fizzy. But because it doesn't make for nice. No, 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 no. But it, but it also tasted, you know, like it tasted like fizzy, but it tasted like fizzy fruit. So yeah, so I think that I really enjoyed it. I thought that it just had a lot going for it. And like you guys said, I could see us having it 
on a special occasion yeah as the description said you know it said it's a perfect wine for drinking with friends and yeah. like relaxed food and having a bit of fun and it just it really was that but i didn't feel like for all that it was fizzy pink for under a tenner it didn't feel like cheap cheap it yeah. didn't feel like lambrini or anything it felt yeah. it felt nice it would definitely be fast. buying again yeah I, I definitely think we will now that we know especially that we know that it's vegan it makes it really easy to pluck it from the shelf knowing that alex can drink it yes. froth with presents is how i would describe it oh, interesting nice. i also took a really pretty picture of it or i thought it was pretty it probably won't be pretty tomorrow because when i was looking at all the bubbles because it was particularly bubbly i was like oh it's kind of like stars Aww. but that's how drunk it got me so, <laughs> i'm as drunk as stars stars okay. um, and how do we feel about the second which was the uh, le bijou de sophie valarose um again this was this was a good choice i think it the name the style i think part well part well paired well with what we were talking about um it was fruity not too dry um perfectly reasonable rosé i did not like it as much as the first one but it wasn't bad so i'm gonna go 3.5 oh i was gonna go 3.5 as well we're we're pairing with oh my god it's very rare that we agree on i know wines across the board and also very rare that i enjoy uh rosés i usually find them really sweet um but i very much enjoyed this one like uh sam said i think it was a very it complemented the subject well yeah um and very drinkable was it this one you were talking about, Summers? Yeah, yeah it's, a summer. is, yeah, it's definitely this is a the summer. summer of regret wine. But it definitely makes me think of sitting in a beautiful beer garden, sun shining. You know, you've got that weird glow feeling where you've been sat in the sun all day. Reminds and... me of us being on holiday. Yes. Yeah. And then you're feeling slightly tingly from the sun and the fun and the wine. Um, that is what it evokes. Uh, so 3.5 yeah not far off for me i think um i really enjoyed it i thought that it it had a really robust sort of very full rich flavor Mm. um very fruity and i certainly really enjoyed it it's on par for me for one of um my favorite roses that i do buy which is um a sainsbury's taste of the difference cote de rhone it just it was really really drinkable and i definitely feel like you could serve that really nicely sort of at a summer barbecue Mm. but i I did feel that it was quite strong the flavor and Mm -hmm. there were tastes of summer regret apparently i'm not over the last time i drank rosé who knew (laughs) um so for me it's a three grape situation but that's not a negative three grapes 3.5 3.5 Fab. Pretty and fucking good. Pretty fucking fancy. And how do we feel about Glamour by Carol Diehouse? I'm of two minds about it, if I'm honest. So on the one hand, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was an excellent academic um, text and had a lot of really interesting facts and a lot of rich history. So for that reason, like I'd, I'd rate it probably quite a bit higher. But then I also I appreciate the criticism that we've had for it, that it in areas fell a bit flat a bit repetitive um wasn't necessarily always on message no and no. i know that sounds like a bit rich coming from us when we go off on tangents all the time but i feel like if you have time to edit write well, and exactly. edit a book yeah. you know you're not getting drunk talking into a microphone for two hours um i just feel like it it didn't quite 
quite do everything that I hoped it would do. I think that on Goodreads I marked it at three. Um, in a as is my want, I enjoyed it. I'd recommend it to the right person, mm-hmm. but I maybe wouldn't read it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm probably around a three, three point five grapes for this. What about you guys? Um, I, I mean. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it didn't really necessarily stay on point. I think I was promised something that it didn't deliver. If it was the history of fashion and uh, how women relate to it through the ages or something like that, totally get it. Absolutely fine. It would probably have a different view on it. I, uh, for me, it didn't explore uh, the culture um like society and uh opinions on women and the way they related to 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 certain aspects that were glamorous um feminism or or anything like that so for it was a bit of a dull read for me and didn't evoke many opinions and i you know if you're if you're reading an academic text you want to be like yeah i really agree with that or i don't agree with that or it didn't really spark anything it just kind of went in and i was like yeah fine gonna mm. give it two grapes two yeah okay. I, I i no based on what you said i think yeah. that makes a lot of sense okay. um for me so i read this in a day today uh <laughs> i went through it quite quickly i've tabbed a shit ton out of it um i think it's something like 35 tabs i've got in here of quotes whatever books that i want to read based on this book mm. so oh, actually, that is a good point there were yeah, books that i think recommendations we should, we should read, read yeah read. um it, there is there is a dryness there is that academic slant to it obviously as as everyone else has said but it was one that i came away came away from going i'm glad i read that mm. it's taught me something it's I, and I think this idea of I know you say about fashion you said about fashion Alex and if it had been a history of fashion this was not about fashion this was about a specific attitude to a specific fashion mm. and it says in the beginning glamour and fashion are not interchangeable they're not the same thing I really liked it yeah. and I oh, my highest rated highest rated book so far has been Anita Nugent's You Didn't Have to Like Me which was a five um, I think I'm going to give this a four fair enough because yeah. I really liked it because I I think like I say for me it was a 3 3.5 I think I leaned towards 3.5 but I rated it on good reasons of 3 because there's I no think that there's no point fives, but also some point fives I rate as a 4 because I'm like I liked it emphatically mm. as a 3.5 whereas some I'm like this was worth a 3.5 and I think that's really where I am with this book like I enjoyed it mm. I probably will flip through it again mm. um definitely glad i own it but oh yeah I've, i i find that really interesting and i think it makes sense to me that you liked it a little bit more just because it's a, a the focus of the hollywood glamour especially is a period of history that you yeah particularly I mean, that is my jam pre-1950 yeah. post first world war is a period of history that i really am interested in mm-hmm. so yes fair enough <laughs> So if you have read this book, please get in touch with us. Or if you have any recommendations about uh, cosmetics and female makeup and that kind of thing, as we touched on earlier, please let us know what they are. Um, we are on Twitter. We are at Grape Culture Pod. We are on Instagram. Where we are at Grape Culture Podcast. Or you can get in touch with us on our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. 
If you enjoyed the episode and you're listening to us on iTunes, please head over there, give us your rating and maybe write us a review if you have the time. We would really appreciate it. And if you want to hear more from us, please come back in two weeks where we will have a brand new topic. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.